Amen. You can take a seat. We have uh, uh, a video for you guys uh, as the sound booth is getting that ready. Uh, we uh, are a part of the Acts 29 Church Planting Network, as Brian had mentioned. And just in case you are unfamiliar with what exactly that is, uh, you know, if, if you checked your Bibles, there are only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. If you're looking, it's not there. Acts 29 is not there. And the name of that, the etymology of this, this, uh, this church planting network, Network is that that the church would continue. It began in Acts 2, as Brian just read, the church began in that moment in Jerusalem, a collection of believers, and they were adding to their number daily, and they were sent out, they were spread, and Jesus said in his great commission, in fact, we're going to be watching about that here in this video, I don't want to take too much of that away, uh, that in the great commission to make disciples of all nations, which means we need to spread out, spread the news, establish local churches so that that local area can be reached. Let's watch this video from Acts 29 before, uh, and then we'll continue. Go ahead. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The heartbeat of Acts 29 is planting and supporting healthy, multiplying churches until the whole earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Before the risen Jesus ascended to his father, he told his followers to go and make disciples, to proclaim Christ, baptize, and teach his commands to all nations. They obeyed their Lord. The gospel light pierced the darkness with eternal hope. Sinners became saints, outcasts were welcome, the abandoned were adopted. The saving message of Jesus began to spread far and wide. Jesus established his church. At Acts 29, we believe the church is God's primary mission strategy on earth. So being faithful to the Great Commission's call to make disciples means being passionate about church planting. All of us feel the weight of sin snaking through this world and want to make a difference. There are a million good deeds to do and charities to support, but consider this. Whatever cause grips your heart, the church answers it. Churches press into the needs of their communities with gospel hope and practical help. Churches run shelters, serve families, adopt orphans. They pray for the sick and mourn with the bereaved. We send missionaries across the world and also proclaim Christ next door. We see lives transformed by his gospel and for his glory. We make disciples. Ordinary local churches are Christ's extraordinary means of grace to the world. This is why we plant churches. Today, Acts 29 churches are doing all this and more. 
Bible-teaching churches of spirit-filled disciples all around the world are breaking through sin's darkness with gospel light. As we fulfill the Great Commission by planting more healthy, multiplying churches, Christ advances his kingdom on the earth and people from all tongues and tribes and nations join us in worship of our risen King. This is the beauty of church planting. This is how God called us to reach the world is through the local church. And so here we are. Outward Church began uh, in, in Salem in 2007 in the Grand Theater uh, in part because a group of people just, just looked around at the church and, and apart from being absent from really good uh, theology, there was a thought there that it's like it seemed like we're watching church happen and we read from the book of Ephesians, which coincidentally we're starting a new series today through the book of Ephesians. But what we see in the book of Ephesians is that the church is made up of Ministers, all of us, saints, ministers, all participating in the work of ministry. We all have a part and a role in the church. It says in 1 Corinthians that, that we're all parts of the body, and it felt missing. In, 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 for a group of people, it felt missing that, that, that they were watching church happen instead of being the church. And so they wanted to start a, 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 a new church. We wanted to start a new church that... that, that had in our mind that everyone would be participating in ministry. We had young people in mind, and it was a group of college kids that got together, and they said, let's, let's do this. We don't know how we're going to make this happen, but let's do this. Let's go. And so we were planted in a way in, in, in Salem. We, we grew. We matured by God's grace. He brought additional people in, different levels of, of maturity. He grew us up, and we kept that vision in, in large part... Uh, from Ephesians, we've actually taught through this this uh, this this chapter of Ephesians or this book of Ephesians before, and we're returning now because right here we're sitting in a a fruit of that calling that God had placed on us to be reaching the city, to be reaching our neighborhoods right? To be planted. We aren't trying to grow into a mega church. We are growing. We are equipping. We are uh, maturing. We are preparing all of you, all of us, to be doing the work of ministry. So we're already thinking about Silverton. We're going to be planting out of Silverton. Where will we plant to? Will there be two you know, there is, there is always in this, in this design of disciple-making disciples, church planting churches, planting churches, a replication model that Jesus set in place in Jerusalem that would spread to the end of the world. And so Acts 29 is the network that we're a part of. They, they help us. They've been an incredible support uh, for us in helping us to get to this place where we are now, and we have our eyes forward into what God is calling us to next. Why should we care about church planting, right? We have, um, I, didn't, I didn't tell anybody I was going to do this. I'm going to get a couple of volunteers up here. Sorry. Uh, Brian, oh, you're holding a baby. You can't come up here. Can, can, yeah, well, no, I need both of your hands, though. Can you? Yeah, there we go. There's somebody who can hold your baby. I need, um, I also need, uh, uh, let's see, Larry, do you mind coming up? And then Desra, do you mind coming up? I know, you, you're like, 
and then um, we'll, we'll go with um, Audrey too, okay? So I'm going to have you guys stand right here, okay? Um, okay, so in, in the progression of your life, at, at some point, you guys uh, put your faith in, in Jesus, and, and you saw God for who he is. He, he called you out of darkness, out of death, and you started living, and you started looking for people who were like you, who loved God, and so you, 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 you started going to the local church, right? And so you, 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 uh, you now are a part of the church, and what happens is, and I'm going to have you guys, I know this is going to be a little bit uncomfortable, I'm going to have you guys stand in a circle, facing each other, holding hands. Okay, so now, now what I have, okay, you guys, you guys are now, and, th and these are all very different people, by the way, right? Larry's like, Larry's like, Larry's like an up the canyon guy. He likes, you know, uh, kind of being out a little bit more remote, uh, tons of, of like life experiences, kind of uh, has a thoughts about like what church should look like. Brian, uneducated, uh, <laughs> but, but just like entrepreneurial, inspired, full of ideas. And, and Desiree, I, I, I was told I'm not supposed to go in front of the speaker, but you guys are doing a great job with this. So uh, Desiree, like incredibly personal. I bet everybody here already knows Desiree. And if you don't know Desiree, you will within the next three weeks. She's just a connector, right? And, and, but she's got, you know, maybe some, some kind of, you know, I, I'm not going to say wacky, but different, different <laughs> political leanings and viewpoints and philosophies and, and all of those things. So uh, it's, just, it's just a little bit different, right? And Audrey, she's, she's in healthcare, and, and she's just such a, 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 she knows people, she cares about people, right? And, 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 and she's, she's um, a, a nurturer, but also a gatherer, a connector, she knows people. And so here we have a group of people, all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, and, and, and they're, con they're connected together, right? As one local body, with their focus in towards each other, but ultimately up towards Jesus, who established their faith and established their church. Okay, so this, this, this represents this church, okay? But here's what happens in church. As we're faced in, we, 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 we start to think about, we start to think about what we need. These, they, they, they're, they're faced in, and so they start thinking about, like, how could we make this a better place? And how could we grow our children's ministry and youth ministry and, uh, and, and women's Bible studies? And what about, what if we did, started this thing? And it, but, there, but the problem is, is it's, it's, it's kind of faced inward, right? And, and, and it doesn't grow necessarily. Maybe it does because it's attractive, everything that they're doing. But what, what we've done, and the reason we've named our church this way, is we want to actually stand as a church with a different orientation, okay? So in, now let go of hands, stay right where you are, turn around, and then grab hands. Again, okay? So now, same church, same group of people connected to each other, still very aware of what the needs are, but they're outward facing. And they're thinking about who's not a part of the circle, who needs to be added and connected into this circle. They're standing, brothers and sisters in arms, ready to fight the good fight, and I would even argue in a better defensive position to be able to stay together because they're looking out at what are, what are the attacks, what are the advancement opportunities. In Ephesians, we'll use this battle language. Okay, you guys can go ahead and sit down. Thank you very much for, uh, for our volunteers. So when we are, when we are outward facing, and, and this, is, this is why we chose the name of our church, we want to have, as 
in our, in our name, in our identity, that we would be outward facing. We aren't just trying to make this a really great place for the people who are already here. We start to have thoughts about like, ah, this is really like the right size of church. I love 150. This is really nice. I can kind of know everybody. We, we have enough people that we can have the activities that I like. I don't really want to get much bigger. Well, we don't actually have a goal, a goal necessarily to get bigger, but God's goal is that the, that the world would be saved. And in his infinite wisdom said, I want you guys, the church, to go and reach the world. He chose his church, not missionaries, not evangelists, the church. So Ephesians, the title, A Church Alive, right? A Church Alive. The Dead Sea uh, has waters flowing into it, but has no water flowing out of it. That's why it's dead. It is only death. Nothing can live there. It's so full of salt. Nothing flowing out of it. It has to flow in and out. And so we're thinking about building up, training up for the purpose of sending. Ephesians, a church alive, becoming who you are. Now, that's an interesting phrase there, right? Becoming who you are. If you are already, what becoming needs to happen? Well, it really comes down to a matter of faith. What do you believe to be true? What you believe to be true is actually more, more of a, a factor in how we act than, than the actual truth is, right? I, I'm not saying that truth is not important, but let me illustrate. I tell you that you're going to die next Wednesday night at, at 7.30 p.m., okay? If you don't believe me, if you don't believe that that's true, nothing changes. Your life continues. But if you believe me, right, you believe what I'm saying to you, everything changes, like, you're not going to work the next day. You've got three days left. What are you going to do in those three days? So your actions now depend entirely on what you, you believe to be true, right? Now, I'm not saying that we just have to, we just have to believe and then uh, it's, it's going to happen for us. What, what Ephesians is doing is actually, start, it's actually telling us who we are. And then inviting us now to become that. Because we already are that. The moment we put our faith in Jesus, we become that. And I'm going to describe and explain that. Ephesians is in two parts. The first part is, what, is kind of who God is. It's the calling of God. The, 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 it's like theology rich. We can, uh, we can mine through uh, verse by verse, which is what we plan to do. That's what we do at Outward Church. We, we, we take a book of the Bible and we read every single word. We talk about every single verse. And so we're going to be in Ephesians as long as God needs us to be here right? I mean, if, if we feel like we're, we're getting teaching, training, nourishment, equipping from, you know, one particular verse, we'll stay there. That's one of the things I love about Outward Church. I know more about the Bible because of the teaching here at Outward Church. So we're going to go through uh, the, book, the book of Ephesians. The first, the first half is the calling of God. The second half is the, um, the conduct of God's people. 
So it's, it's the first, it's, it's six chapters. The first three uh, are really what, who God is and what God is doing, what God has done, and kind of who we are. And the second half, the back half, is how then should we act, right? One of the things that we do in our uh, community groups, as we approach God's word, we ask uh, these questions. Who is God? We look and see who is God. What is the character and nature of God? What is God doing? What is the actions here of God? Who am I is, is the third question we would ask. Like, what does this say about who I am? And, and with all, as with all of Scripture, if God's word says it, it's true. It's true, and I accept it. I believe it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If we want our faith to increase, we need to increase our hearing of the word, our reading of the word, receiving of the ministry of the word. So we're going to start with who is God, who are we, and how we should act. And all of the first part of Ephesians is about what God has done and what he is doing. One of the problems in the local church, uh, well, in Christians, uh, I would say, is kind of a refusal to accept this new identity. For whatever reason, a refusal to accept this new identity. In counseling, we have a counseling ministry at Outward Church, we have found that, um, we've found that, that when people are coming in with whatever problem that they're facing, fear, anxiety, depression, sin issues, whatever it is, it stems to one of two issues, who I believe or understand God to be or who I am in Christ. And that if we can help people to see, have a right view of who God is, who is God in your suffering, who is God in your blessing, who is God in your loss, who is God in your... Um, in your success? Who is God in your singleness? Who is God in your marriage? What does it mean when things are not going as you wanted them to go? What does it mean when things, everything's going as you wanted to go? All of those connected to, we ascribe to uh, characteristics, nature, the nature of who God is. So we've got to answer that question of who God is. We've got to have a right theology of who God is. What is it that we're believing? And we've got to have a right theology about who we are right? Who am I? What has God called me to be? If your identity is broken, sinful, the forgotten one, lonely, unfixable, you know, whatever it is, you're carrying around an identity. Everything is ascribing to us an, an identity, giving to us a name. So, uh, we, we start with the introduction to the letter. And I don't know if you ever read, uh, you know, a book. I, I usually almost always skip through the foreword. It's just like, this guy's so great. He's been such an impact. I'm so grateful. And I know that maybe that sounds bad, but it's just like, I just want to get to the material. And then the introduction sometimes is just as bad because it's like, uh, I just want to thank this person for helping me get here. And it's just like, Skip past, right? I'm trying to get to the meat, right? We can't do that with Paul's epistles. He does not wait, miss a single letter. 
Like, it's the inspired word of God, and Paul doesn't waste any words. He doesn't waste any ink. We can't move past the introduction. So if you have your Bibles with me, we're going to look right at the first chapter of Ephesians, the very first verse. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna break this down, and we're going to mine this for all of the richness that's there. And we're trying to answer the question of this identity. You know, the, it, just, I was, I was thinking about this, the, we, we actually aren't too unfamiliar with this idea of, of like a changing or a new identity, right? When you're single and you become married, you, you, you now have a new identity. I, I've gone from single, me, to married, we, right? I've got this new identity. In fact, marriage, which we talk a lot about in the book of Ephesians, Marriage, often the struggle in marriage, is a refusal to accept this new identity. You've got a couple of me's that just refuse to be we, let alone the idea that, that, that we're supposed to be displaying, also from the book of Ephesians, we're supposed to be displaying the mystery of the relationship between Jesus and his church. So we've, we've got this refusal to accept our new identity. Fights within the church, arguments within the church, are always about a me focus and is not a consideration of unity. Unity is the primary message and goal of Ephesians. Ephesians, specifically unity in the church. We have to be, we have to be unified. People are... Um, uh, this is the last of the illustrations, and I'll, I'll jump into the text. Uh, th- this p- part of our identity is, is blurred, our refusal to kind of, um, uh, to, to, to accept this identity, say, as, as married, because uh, we're, we're looking for things to, uh, to, to, to define us. So we have like these, these relationships, these, these one-night stands before you were married, multiple, uh, maybe multiple partners, maybe multiple dating relationships, um, and, and each one kind of taking a, a portion of your identity as you, you kind of formed together and then broke apart. And, and it's kind of the relationship uh, of the church too, that you've kind of, there may be some people here who have always had merely a dating relationship with their church rather than being connected, committed to one church, receiving their identity as I'm a part of this, right? A refusal to accept your identity as a part of the church. So I want to I jump in here with the time that we have remaining in these First two verses, all we're going to look at is the introduction. I'll read the first two verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ, uh, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So back to verse 1, Paul. Uh, I'm going to just kind of briefly say the, the letters, it's interesting because, uh, you know, our letters, we start with the person we're talking to, and then we end with the person it's from, right? It's like a, a reminder to the person who's reading it, like who they are. 
Uh, but it's kind of backwards. It actually makes more sense to say, like, who's this letter from? Oh, it's from Paul. Paul, saying who is, the, who is writing, now, now defines his voice, gives voice to what it is that he's saying and says, an apostle of Christ Jesus. That's who I am. That's, that's his identity. Now, apostle is not a uh, apostle. We don't have apostles today, okay? If you're part of a church that, that claims to have apostles, they would, that would, I would consider that to be uh, unbiblical. They, uh, uh, the, the, the qualifications of an apostle is that somebody who has seen the resurrected Jesus who has been uh, sent, they are sent ones, the word literally means sent ones, sent by Jesus himself, the resurrected Jesus, with authority. These are the qualifications of apostle. So it is impossible because we have not been in the physical presence of the resurrected Jesus today, we could not, every apostle, everyone who is named apostle has these three qualifications. And so apostles was for a time. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, it says that the church is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. So it's the beginning. And then we, the church, Peter says the living stones are built on top of that, Christ, our cornerstone. So we are uh, built on the foundation of the apostles. Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ that's redundant because you can't be an apostle without being an apostle of Christ Jesus himself, by the will of God. Ephesians talks a lot about the will of God. We're going to jump right in to the sovereignty of God in this book. God is imposing. He is changing the direction of Paul by the will of God. You know the backstory of Paul. Paul is the chief persecutor of the church. He's killing Christians. He's angry. He's violent. He's zealous. And he believes he's doing the work of God. He's trying to crush the movement of the Christian to end it because he is so opposed to Christians. And, and Jesus himself stops him in his tracks and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? This experience with Jesus blinds him and in fact affects potentially his eyesight for the rest of his life. But from that moment on, he's converted, his heart has changed, he's trained up and he becomes perhaps the greatest Christian to ever live writing most of the Bible. Do you have somebody you love that is backslidden? that is not following God, that you are praying that they will come to know Jesus and that they will start to follow him, Jesus can turn the hardest hearts. An encounter with Jesus can change any person. A person can go from hating God to loving God. And that is the will of God. God changes hearts. So he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, but now who's he talking to? He's talking to the saints. Now, you may have a, a thought or an understanding of what this term saint means. The word is used 39 times in the Pauline epistles. He says saint, it's his preferred word to talk about Christians. 
He's not just talking about super Christians. The Catholic Church would consider, uh, it's, not, it's not to say that they don't believe that, this, that the word saint doesn't apply to all Christians here in this book, but they would have kind of a super Christian that's categorized as saint as long as you meet certain qualifications and characteristics, and it only happens after that person dies. As long as these things happen and you notice this thing, then that person is declared a saint, right? And we would say, we kind of use this in the common vernacular, we would say, I'm no saint, or she's, she's no saint, as if to say, like, I'm not one of those super Christians, except there's nothing biblical about that. There's, there's nothing in the Bible that seems to say that there are, this is a smaller podium here. This is, I'm used to two of these, and there's only one of them here. Uh, there's no super Christians, right? No, no super, there's no categories for that. There are certainly people who are more holy than I am. I know that. And their reward will be incredible in heaven. That's the promise of Scripture. But there's no categories that says this person is above that person in their life. In fact, we can even look at Ephesians when he says to the evangelists, the prophets, the teachers, the apostles, their work, we're getting to that in Ephesians 4. This is kind of what the foundation of this church is based on. Their work, their job, God's calling on their life is to equip the saints to do the works of ministry. So who are the saints? Believers. Every Christian. There is no Christian who's not a saint. Do you know the significance of that? Right up front, Paul gives you your identity. It's who you are. You feel like a saint? The definition of saint here, the, the, the Greek word, the same, the same word or some variation of the word is used for holy, is a part of sanctification, is a part of set apart, a holy people sanctified, separated for God, for the purpose of God, to display the goodness of God. Do you feel like a saint? Do you believe you're a saint? Are you ready to wear that identity, that calling on your life? You're a saint. Paul says you're a saint. Now, this isn't just the, the Christians in Ephesians. Uh, the, the town uh, or the, the area that Ephesus, it would be a great metropolis, Ephesus. Uh, they were progressive, advanced in their thinking. It was very large. It was like the center of pagan worship. Uh, the temples of Diana are there. The saints are not just merely to Ephesus. This letter, in fact, early transcripts of this letter, letter actually have the part Ephesus. It says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. That, they, they found some manuscripts where that's blank. Okay? So this may have been, likely would have been, kind of a circular that was distributed in this region. And you could write into that church, this message was to the church. So this could be read, to the saints who are in Silverton. To the saints who are in Malala. To the saints who are in Mount Angel. He's talking to Christians and he's calling them saints. That's your identity. If you believe that, it changes your life. If you don't, nothing changes. So, the significance. Now, we'll speak to uh, Ephesus because he is calling 
uh, in Ephesus, he is calling them saints. This is a town, an area, a metropolis, who it actually says in the books of uh, in the book of Acts uh, nineteen, it talks about Paul's time in Ephesus that they took their 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 books of sorcery and magic and all of those things. Those who started following Jesus and they they burned them. And they I heard a historian said that the value of that was like fifty two thousand pieces of silver. What was destroyed, not just gotten rid of or passed on, but destroyed because this city is changing and it wouldn't have made sense because it's a it's this progressive city who is pluralistic and it's just like okay you can worship that and you can worship that and so like it it wouldn't have necessarily been. Uh, like, like, like Christianity is, is going to like um, be, be completely squashed. It's, it's kind of, uh, yeah, this, this kind of pluralistic, pluralistic society, advanced in, in their thinking, educated, uh, like technologically advanced kind of city. Uh, kind of a, a really hard uh, to reach area, you would say. But people are, are changing. They're laying down their idol worship. They're, they're destroying uh, they're getting rid of their former practices. And so much of this, this letter, he's talking to them about, about the things that they used to do and the way that they used to be. In this group are going to be temple prostitutes. In this group are going to be people who, who literally had the job, it says in Acts 19. This, this, this guy who was, his livelihood was making idols. And, and he actually worked up a riot of the entire town uh, trying to, uh, to, to squash this Christian movement because it would affect his livelihood uh, of, of idol making. This is who Paul is calling saints. These, are, these people Paul is calling saints. And it would have been a familiar term for them. It would have been something he had, they had heard he spent two years with them. I know for me, it took me a long time before I could accept this identity. I'm walking with Jesus for a long time. And that thought, that feeling of like, I don't feel forgiven. I still struggle. I still sin. I still have too much to drink sometimes. When I'm in my 20s, I'm, I'm thinking about, oh, man, I know I'm saved. But, man, I'm not a saint. I'm still really struggling here. I still keep turning back to the old things. It, it took me a while before I started to see, I'm, I'm a saint. We're going to learn the theology for that. That's coming. That's why, that's why theology is so important. It's so important to dive in and mine each one of these phrases throughout Scripture and to understand the meaning, the purpose, the context. Is as, we start to, as we start to hear these things and start to believe them, for me, it was the doctrine of imputed righteousness, that Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus was placed onto me in exchange for my sin. My understanding of that and the scriptural support of that was how, was how I finally started to feel forgiven. So theology is, is so important, and so we're, we're planning to go verse by verse through the book of Ephesians and mining for that philosophy. You are saints, and he's going to explain here that this new identity in Christ, this whole next section, verses 3 through 14, all one sentence is kind of a poem. And there's this repeated theme throughout. In 
Christ. It's not because of Christ, not because of the things that he did. The whole point of Ephesians, different from Romans, Romans is, is theologically rich. Martin Lloyd-Jones calls uh, Ephesians the crown jewel of the Pauline epistles. But, but I, I mean, some people say like Romans is the greatest book I've ever, ever written. That's what Piper said about it. The, the difference is, though, both theologically rich, giving us information about our identity. Romans talks about um, our unrighteousness requiring payment, right? The wages of sin is death. We're deserving of death, and the work of Jesus covers us, justifies us. It's a focus on justification. Beautiful theology, important. But the difference in Ephesians is the, pro- it, it, the, the, the problem is still our sin. The solution is still Jesus, but the, but the primary uh, problem that it's focusing on is, is, the, is the relational separation. So Ephesians talks about a reconciliation and a ministry of reconciliation. We, we are being united, not together with Christ, but literally in Christ, like a marriage relationship, two becoming one. So the bride of, the, the bride of Christ is married to her husband, Jesus. So Jesus and the church joined from two to one. And so the language here is literally in Jesus. And in the next, I don't want to take too much away from the next few verses, but just to point this out, in verse 1-3 it says, we are blessed in Christ. 1-4, chosen in Christ. 1-7, redeemed in Christ. 1-10, united in Christ. 1-11, heirs in Christ. 2-10, created in Christ. 2-22, constructed in Christ. 3.11, purposed in Christ. 4.15, matured in Christ. 4.21, taught in Christ. We are literally in Jesus, made one with him. We're saints, made one with Jesus. Why don't our lives look different? Why don't our churches look different? We're going to dig into that. So in this in this opening to this letter, so theologically rich, giving us our identity. It says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. That word faithful doesn't have a good English translation. You have to think of its, obvi- or its opposite, faithless, so full of faith. Because it, it cannot depend on my faithfulness it's not, I, because I am not faithful, it's that I'm full of faith, that when I fall, when I fail, I believe the words of Jesus that I'm fully forgiven, that I'm fully set free, that I'm a saint. Even though I'm in the process of being sanctified, I'm already sanctified. This, this kind of becoming who we are. We are sanctified, we're becoming sanctified. In Christ Jesus. This is not new language for us. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. In me, abides in me. We are connected. The vine and the branch are one connected and that fruit happens. We just have to receive this new identity. We got to become who we are. And he closes his opening with grace to you. And peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you. 
We need it every single day, every moment we need grace. That peace is relational. We were enemies of God until we were made friends with God. You now have peace with God. And that's, that's what he's, he's washing over you. You have peace with God. You're now in Christ. You've been connected with him. You already are a saint. You already are sanctified. And then the whole back half of Ephesians, the last three chapters, says, okay, do you got it? You know who you are now? Do you know who God is now? Okay, now let's start, now let's start talking about what you do. It, it has to start with who he is what he's done, who we are, then we'll talk about what we do. It cannot be the other way. We are accepted while we were still sinners. We are loved. Jesus died for us before we ever had a chance to do anything to deserve it. And we have the opportunity right now with communion to celebrate that, the work that, uh, that, that Jesus accomplished on the cross that he died for us, is how we are made to be in him. That's how he accomplished it. So you'll see that the communion is right up here at front. So I'm, what I'm going to ask you guys to do is just go ahead and get up right where you are. Grab the communion. And here's, here's what we're trying. We're trying some organization techniques here. Grab the communion and then go back to your seat through the out, on the outside. So kind of come up the middle and then out the outside, uh, if that makes sense. I don't know. We could put a diagram up there maybe. But go ahead and grab the communion, take it back to your seat. We'll take the elements all together. As, as we're gra grabbing the elements... Some of you might be thinking, could this be true? I, I can't believe it. I want to believe it, but I just can't believe it. I'm a saint? I'm already loved? I'm already chosen? We have a song that we sing, it says... I'll, I'll never be more loved than I am right now. It just yells that there's, there's nothing we can do to get more of God's love because he's already given us all of it. He's poured himself out for us. You can take this moment as, as you're considering who Jesus is, what he's done, who he says you are. You start to think about how you live. We have forgiveness right now for every one of those, those, every one of those sins, every one of those failings, every one of those fallings and it's really only our faith and we just believe 
that this really does what it says it does. Not, not the element specifically that's just juice and it's just cracker, but what it represents. The body is Jesus, uh, or, or the, the cracker is Jesus' body broken. We'll take that now. The juice represents his blood. We'll take that now. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we praise your name. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your work. We accept, we receive, we believe who you say we are, but we need help with our unbelief. Will you change us? Will you help us to keep our eyes on you? God, as we learn what it means to be your church, to be a family, a, brother, a brotherhood of believers, God, would you, would you draw us to yourself? Would you continue to call us uh, to be together with your people, our brothers and sisters, that we would make a commitment to be here every single week so that we can continue to be under, under the ministry of, of your word? God, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.